Welcome to the Bad for Business podcast, brought to you by the Founders Fund. The Bad for Business podcast uncovers the real unfiltered stories behind the success of unconventional, disruptive, and downright bad for business entrepreneurs. I'm your host and badass entrepreneur in charge, Vivian Kay. If you're interested in joining a community of bad for business women identifying founders who also get access to funding, mentorship, and education for your business, visit us at foundersfund.ca to become a member. Jen Harper is the founder of Cheekbone Beauty and recipient of the Founders Fund Legacy Fund. Cheekbone Beauty is an Indigenous-owned and founded direct-to-consumer Canadian cosmetics company established in 2016. They are known for creating high-quality and cruelty-free beauty products. Keeping in line with her Ashinabi roots, Cheekbone Beauty launched a less-waste line of lipsticks in 2020 called Sustain with zero waste goals for 2023. Cheekbone's aim is not only to make a difference in the lives of indigenous youth through their donations and addressing the educational funding gap, but it's also to create a space in the beauty industry where indigenous youth feel represented and seen. Hey, Jen, how are you? I am great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. You're absolutely welcome. I know just before we started uh, recording, we've been chatting for a good, you know, 15 minutes before we actually started recording this interview. But now we're going to get into, I guess, like the the root of it where I want to really find out who you are and and how you became to be, um, you know, one of the most popular indigenous owned and founded um, Canadian cosmetic brands in Canada. I just said that Canadian cosmetic brands, <laughs> but I would love to get to know you as a kid. Like what, what were you like as a kid? Like what was your family structure, your cultural upbringing? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in the Niagara region. So we're like, you know, across the lake from the, the everyone knows Toronto. So I always say like we're an hour South or across the lake from Toronto. Uh, but I was born in Thunder Bay and lived there with both of my parents until I was about two. We all moved to Toronto and then my mom and dad split up and my mom ended up in Niagara because there was a job opportunity here, which is um, well in Canal. It was with the the shipping lines or the big ships that come through our area. And so we have been here since I was about four and a half and uh, raised my family now here. Moved away a couple times once in my um after high school to try <laughs> to go to university. We have a, sorry, I'm laughing because our story just sounds very similar. Very <laughs> similar. Yeah. Went, tried to go to university and really didn't do a good job at that and came, ended up moving back home, then met my husband, got married. And we ended up in Whitby or like Brooklyn 
to be more specific, which is uh, a community suburbia outside of Toronto, because he was working in the Don Mills area of Toronto. And we, we bid it on a couple houses at that time back in 2007. And we're like, literally Toronto, like, I don't know who can afford to buy houses there. But anyway, we couldn't. So it, we ended up in Whitby. And then my husband came to me, you know, and he was not happy. He's a Niagara boy, born and bred. And we, we came back here and we've been raising our family here ever since. Wow. Okay. That sounds very cool. We have a very, very similar story. Um, so what was your very first job when you grew up? Like, and what's the most important thing that you learned on that first job? So my first job that I was paid to do would have been as a shampoo girl at a hair salon that was literally around the corner from my, my parents' house. Um, but it was Saturday mornings and my clients back then, I think I was 15, were obviously older women. So I was really shampooing uh, like a ton of seniors like hair every Saturday morning. And I did not love that as much as I love seniors. But when you're 15, I was like, I did not love that job at all. So I remember leaving it pretty quickly. Um, and I went and got into the restaurant industry. So right after that became a dishwasher at a restaurant. And it's funny because then that really defined the first half of my life in, in sort of my career because I was in the hospitality industry up until I started the cheekbone beauty brand. But it, I, I don't think I answered like when you said what type of kid you were. So when I look back, it was literally what, you know, all of those bossy, like people would come over and try to play with my toys. And I would be like, no, or if we do play, it's like, I was the organizer, the one who had to tell everyone what you're going to play with and what you can touch and not touch and all those sorts of things. So, um, which we now know we should call leadership skills. That's the crazy thing is that they should have told us that these skills translate into, you know, the adult skills that you need. But instead, did you find that people were trying to, to dampen you and to, to snuff out your life because they were like, no, you're kids. You can't be like that. You know, I have an amazing mom because I don't know if it was her upbringing, but she always let me be bossy and let me sort of take the lead on stuff, which is really great because it didn't snuff out, I guess, those skills or which I was trying to hide um, later on in life. But it's funny how you it's like our roles are certainly defined by society. They really are, because as much as my mom wasn't doing that, you get in a job and you're like, oh, I have this idea. And then the boss, you know the manager at the time, they're telling you, well, just why don't you just do your job and forget about that sort of thing. So as you grow, I think regardless of what kind of home you grow up in, somebody in some shape is always trying to snuff out something that we're trying to do. So um, now that I'm mature and a wise older woman, I feel like I'm always telling young people, it's just you can't let people, other people define who, who you are or, or the things that you want to do, right? Like you can't let that happen, which is, that's a big challenge in itself for sure. So was there a moment, um, in your life that you can specifically remember where someone did try to do that and you were like, you know what? No, I'm not going to let that happen. (sighs) 
No, it's so funny. Like, that's a hard question. Cause I, I know in my mind, you know, those, you've had those conversations with people in your mind of like, this is what I'm going to tell this person who's trying to tell me to do this. And I don't think I was ever brave enough maybe to say it out loud or the way I look at it now is glad I didn't waste my energy on getting so angry and upset mm-hmm. and resentful. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of two-sided. It's like, you know, as, as parents, we're, we're always given the advice to pick our battles, especially, you know, I have two teenagers now. Yeah. So Ooh, you, you do. You do. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I need that right now desperately, but it is about choosing your battles. And as I, I really, I thank my mother because I had such a great upbringing in the sense that, you know, we were really poor, but she does, she really guided us with so many amazing principles about whether it's hard work or take on that, be the boss, do the thing. If you have an idea, express yourself. She also was very adamant about humility, right? Which Mm. is, it's this really this juxtaposition because we're not really told those two things at the same time. Right. And maybe that's what's missing that because I don't know about you, but sometimes when someone's overly confident or overly in your face, that makes you uncomfortable. And if somebody's way too humble and like not saying or doing anything. So it's like, maybe that's where the balance comes in. Right. That is so interesting. Yeah. That, that that's, it's something that people need to be taught. That's for sure. <laughs> it's something that people need to be taught. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, how did you, how did you even end up being an entrepreneur? Cause I'm pretty sure <laughs> this was not this. I, I don't know about how old you are, but I know when I was growing up, being an entrepreneur was not the sexiest thing to do like it is now. Yeah, no, not at all. And I probably, I had no idea what that word even meant. Right. Or if I ever, yeah, I was like the entre who, <laughs> or if you saw people that own their own businesses, it was usually local, much like maybe that hair salon. Right. And I remember thinking, even as a teen or into my early twenties, you're working for people and they own these companies and you always saw there was always headaches. Yeah. And like, it was a bit of a nightmare most of the time and they're disorganized and you're like, this is why this business is failing, like in my right. mind. Right. So I don't think I would never thought, Hey, this is something I can do, uh, or would want to do. Cause it always looked really frustrating actually. But, um, so when I was little, I went through many, many career, uh, dreams. I was a big dreamer in my mind and I always really ran away with my imagination. Um, it, as early as I can remember, Uh, I loved creating and making things. And then I loved the idea of making products. It's so weird. And I hadn't thought about this until a couple of years ago, but even in, you know, um, a grade four, I remember an assignment. I can't even remember what class it was, but I came up with a shampoo that literally you colors your hair while you're washing your, uh, while you're shampooing your hair. And, um, thought those are the kinds of things that I love to do. So I always had this idea that I was going to do something where I felt like I could be a part of making something. I don't know. But then as you mature uh, and realize those kind of jobs don't just come easily, right? You're like, you can't just go find a job where you're going to be the one who gets to make and create. Um, Or I didn't think so at the time. And then I fell in love with the marine biology for, for a long time. I wanted to get in, 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 be a marine biologist. And that was just, I think my love of the sea and sea creatures. Um, but then I was not a student, which is really mm-hmm. was the hard part. So yeah. I didn't do well in science and, um, never pursued that 
part of my character that I loved marine life and marine animals. So, 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 okay. So I'm just trying to, cause I'm thinking, cause you're, you were a shampoo girl and then you got into hospitality. You wanted to be a marine biologist. How did you start cheekbone beauty? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty intense. So like uh, the career I had created for myself, I was in hospitality starting literally from that age of 15. Once I left the shampoo world, became a dishwasher, ended up becoming a bus girl. Uh, and then, you know, by the time I was 19, I was like the restaurant manager and then moved to Toronto and took on a restaurant manager there as well as serving. Cause you know, the restaurant manager did not make very much money, but was serving and be always serving on the side for more cash. And, uh, and then ended up in sales and marketing in that industry. So I was with Cisco food services for a long time. And then with a seafood company, which is interesting because that's taking me back to like my love of marine life, but I'm selling, um, you're selling fish. the marine life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Restaurants and hotels and casino, uh, the, the OLG was one of my major customers and clients, but, um, so I did that for eight years and then probably about five years into my role at the seafood company, I literally had this insane dream about making lip gloss and that was, you know, no experience in beauty whatsoever. Um, and just to like, give you a little backstory. So my career in sales really, and having like a crazy difficult marriage propelled. I think I always was an alcoholic, but over about a six year period during my role, uh, working for sales and sales is very like numbers driven and very intense and stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So the stress and then of a, and then tough marriage at the same time, I really started drinking heavily. It became a big problem. And then in, in, to the point where in 2010, I went into rehab, uh, came out and probably had quite a few relapses between 2010 and 2014. I finally got sober and haven't had a drink since this November on the 26th. I celebrate six years of sobriety. Um, thank you. And really proud of that. And so after it was November 26, 2014, get sober, literally January, 2015 is when I had this dream about making lip gloss and starting this foundation in my grandmother's name, Emily Paul, who was a residential school survivor, never had a a relationship with her except meeting her a few times in my life. But over this period of 2015, I read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the final report, and it really is this, it was a six-year study between Indigenous people and survivors of the residential school system, and it was like this massive aha moment because I looked at my entire life and my father's side of my family, and I was like, what, why does this feel so dysfunctional at times. And and why does my dad struggle with alcohol? And, and then learned um, that my grandmother literally survived the residential school. She was taken from her family's home at six years old. And when you have kids, you can imagine a six-year-old being taken from their home. Six-year-old right now. Yeah. And put into this school where they're not allowed to go back home in the summer. It's not like a boarding school. What we think of, I think when you think of boarding school where they are being uh, physically punished. So if my grandmother spoke Anishinaabe Moen, she would be beaten. Um, we know that there was sexual abuse. And so I, I, I never speak too dramatically about her personal experience because I wasn't there and she's no longer here. So she couldn't tell me herself what happened. But I know from my aunties that um, 
for speaking Ojibwe, she would be beaten. And they weren't allowed to hug their siblings that were also in the residential school. So she was there till 16 years old. And I can only imagine when I think about the trauma and we now know what, what that would cause someone. So she goes back to, back to her home and meets my grandfather, also residential school survivor. And they both, they get together. They have, have eight children. And unfortunately the pain of her traumas leads her to substance, alcohol abuse, absolutely violence, anger. She has my dad, his siblings, my dad grows up and again, turns to violence, anger, that's what he grew up abuse and alcoholism. And then I, here I am in struggling with the same thing. And I'm reading this. It's a, it's a report. That's like a 560 pages. And I was going through it in 2015 going, Oh my goodness. It would be these ultimate like uh, moments of clarity where, okay, this is, I get it now. So what can I do? And then um, pain. And, and cause you're like, this is what my family has experienced. And this entire country that we live in looks at indigenous people with these stereotypes, having no freaking clue what these people have had to go through and just were judging. And I was judging my own family going, why are they so dysfunctional? And now I, I knew exactly the reasons why. And so I was like, I'm going to make this lip gloss. And I wanted to start this foundation in my grandmother's name. And, um, really just start to have conversations with people very much like me who might not have known about any of this history. And so we give, we right away, our goal was to give profits back to organizations that empower indigenous youth, whether it's through educational organizations um, or um, anything to do to help them enhance their lives, essentially. So that's what we do. Since the beginning, we've given back 10% of our profits to do that. And so it started out with maybe wanting to build the foundation in my grandmother's name, but learning that that would be another building another company on the side. So we just found organizations that we could support until the one day we, we can uh, build our own foundation. Right. You know, generational trauma is real. Um, and people seem, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, they just need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap. No, that's not, that's not how it works when the same boot you're asking them to pull themselves up with was the one that they were beat with or the yeah. one that they were, you know, um, that they didn't have or, you know, whatever the case may be. But generational trauma is real. Um, so how did you know you had something special on your hands? So you wake up one morning from a dream Mm -hmm. after, you know, coming out of rehab and you're sober and you have this dream to start this foundation and to sell lip gloss. Like, like how, like, how did you know you had something special? Oh, I don't know. How do I describe it? You you know, when I would wake up and sort of work on this before my, cause I had to have that day job. Remember, like I got nothing right, paying the right, bills. Right. Right. So, you know, I've got mortgages, you know, so I it got, started as a side hustle then. So it was totally a side hustle, but it would be morning, evenings, weekends, and this insatiable passion in your belly. And, and I think every entrepreneur knows that because yeah. regardless, no one's paying me nothing, nothing, right. no money coming for nothing, right. but you're working on this because you, you see it and you believe it. And it's in your mind of what you want to make and, and, and how you all, you know, like the org chart was already up there in my mind and seeing the products and, 
and and having an I this idea of purpose-driven businesses that are sus- about sustainability and creating products that are about leaving less of an impact on the earth. And I'm like, these things didn't exist. So I knew I had something. And then like the the we know it's the market speaks. And I couldn't I was like blown away that people were were buying our products, I think, early on and saw what we were trying to make, even though we didn't get it right. And I always say we're still not at the right where I see that that part of my vision is still in my head and we're not there yet, but we have the support of an incredible community because um, I knew it was on to something, not only because of my own insatiable desire to make this happen, but because of the support from the people around us. And that, because without those sales, I wouldn't be able to then right. buy more products and get them in yeah. or, or work on, you know, this sort of marketing project or work on, 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 um, some other design feature of, of the website. So without the funds coming in to sort of bootstrap all of that early on, it wouldn't have existed, but the, the people were rallying around us and it just felt right too. Right. Like it just felt right. Do you remember what your first sale was? Um, I think it was, so the first sales were all like friends and family. Like they really were. Yeah. It was in, it was, again, we launched in November, 2016 um, we were supposed to launch in September, 2016, but, uh, sadly more of the generational trauma came, came back and, and, and really, um, put a big damper and like just a kick in the gut. My brother took his own life in September of 2016. And so it was like, I didn't know if I was going to, I was like, I've worked on this, but talk about that that feeling of knowing you're on the right path and you want to do this. I was in bed, obviously, and depressed for weeks. And, uh, and then, you know, got up in October and I was like, okay, I've, I I had conversations with my brother BJ about this and it was literally just May of 2016. So it was a couple months prior, but he said like literally one sentence when I'm having those days where you feel like someone's kicked you in the gut again. Um, he said, Jen, our, our youth need hope and they need help. And what you are doing is going to be great. Like he'd never heard of anyone creating a business to support Indigenous youth. So those words like literally run through my mind at least some point every single day. And then specifically, you know, it's on repeat on those days when you're like, this is a crappy day. Right. And it, again, it was just, it's an, it's, it was just more evidence of how much this business needed to exist with that happening, you know, my, he left behind three amazing kids, my niece and my two nephews, and I have other nieces and, and all of my family live on reservations across Canada, wherever it's on the East coast or, um, in our home reservation in Northwest angle, um, or in Alberta where my nieces and nephews are now, but, um, they don't have clean drinking water in some cases. They don't have uh, appropriate school systems. So like everything that we were trying to speak to on this plot with this platform of using lipstick is a great way to start a simple conversation with somebody like, right. yeah, these are really uncomfortable topics, but get like, you can create businesses in, I firmly believe that are about supporting and trying to um, create awareness about stuff that's really impacting your people. And and it's my family that is impacting, right? Like legitimately right. impacting my family. Wow. So that brings us to the legacy fund. So you were the winner. You were the recipient of the Henry Pelham legacy fund. Um, and this is something that we, you know, from Founders Fund, we did a joint 
uh, fund with Henry Pelham. And so how has it impacted your business so far? And what kind of plans do you have for those funds? That fund could not have come at a better time. Uh, you know, running a business is really, really, really hard. Oh my God, so hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sometimes you're just about out of cash when even though you know you have some coming in the near future, but literally enough. I, I tell you that that came at a, a perfect week when I was really worried even about payroll, right, for, for paying people that support us. So it was perfect. It covered the labor of all the people that really come and do hard work um, for, for our business and for our communities. And we're so grateful for this team of people. And I would never want to be an entrepreneur or founder that has to go to them and say, can you guys, yeah, you, they, they need like people. That's one thing, um, you know, as a business operator that you for sure want to make sure is you're paying the people that are here for you. Cause they're counting on that, right. To feed Absolutely. their families. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you were, so the legacy fund um, helped you out tremendously. Were there any instances that you just screwed up? Like you just fucked up <laughs> major. Yes, we can curse. We can curse. <laughs> so there's no rating. Oh, uh, sorry. I said the, 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 there's this show is R rated. Oh I yes, you it. don't listen. Do not listen to it with your children unless they're <laughs> adults. But um, like, are, do you have any major fuck ups that? Oh my you... goodness. <laughs> So many, like so many, okay, you know pick it. One. Pick the most recent one, because I know, I know, I stay fucking up. So, oh my, yeah, I think it's um, it's expecting too much from people sometimes, as because you're like, you think you found the thing that's gonna solve the thing that's causing you all this grief and headache, uh, and then it's not the right person or sort of agency or mm -hmm, person mm -hmm. to fill that job and you yeah. still got to get back at it. And so made the mistake of paying, you know, people, organizations, agencies to do work that you think they can get done and they can't get done. Right. Oh my God. Oh, we should yeah. totally meet for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the agency world is blowing me away. Cause there's, I literally get, I don't know, a hundred emails a day. Yeah. I stopped checking my kinky curly Aki email because it's like, it's all, it's full of that stuff. Yeah. And I know it's a tough year for many businesses, so I get it. Everyone is looking for new business, but the problem that I've discovered is just so many people promise you um, the world and can't deliver. And so one thing I always try to give feedback to this when this is happening that like under promise, then okay. over deliver. Over -deliver. Yeah, yes. because there's nothing worse than the bad taste that's left in your mouth with uh, someone that can't deliver on the work. Oh, it just, it just, I want to punch them in their throat because you could have, <laughs> you like, why would you promise me the moon when you literally have the sidewalk? Just promise yeah. me the road. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then just, if you and the trees, I'm, I'm happy. I know what I don't know. Right. Like, and so like, just be real. Right. That's my whole thing is be real, be real. Yeah, well, you're very real, Jen. You're very real. Very real. Too real, maybe. <laughs> no, that, girl, if you think you're too real, <laughs> that's why we're bad for business, right? That's yeah. exactly why you're here, because you're bad for business. Yeah. So here's one question. What's the best piece of advice and the worst piece of advice you have ever received in business or otherwise? 
Mm. So I think the worst piece of advice that people give in life and in business is that whole follow your heart nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do not, this is like, I'm an anti follow your harder person. Cause I don't think your heart knows it's butt from all on the ground, so to speak. <laughs> so you need to really listen to your head and be logical and insightful and weigh all the costs and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's relationships or in business. It's really important to work from, you know, data, real data, right? Uh, and um, the, the best piece of advice, just, you know, early on had a mentor that told me to get a business advisory board And I think at an early stage, it was the best thing I'd ever done because it was this unbiased position about my business or anything that I was trying to make. And uh, it was real, right? They were, they were real because they don't know me and I paid them to listen, right? Right, right, right. That is so how would you go about finding people to if you wanted to create your own business advisory board? Oh, so I don't know anything about creating your own. Um, but I do know that this well, is how did paid, you create yours? So it was a paid, like I paid 150 bucks for an hour of these people's time. There's, it's called an CEPS organization out of Mississauga, um, retired, whether it's accountants, entrepreneurs, lawyers, uh, professionals, and they've created an advisory board. They were like really honest, huh? brutally honest. That's interesting. Did you find that maybe they were, maybe they didn't maybe understand your niche or your demographic? Like, or did they, did you think that like, did they have any biases uh, with that or? Oh yeah. Like so interesting. The one, um, one of the feedback was like, they couldn't even fathom. So this is back in 2016 makeup being sold online. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But then another half of them were like, totally got the concept of what we were trying to do, add this representation portion to the beauty space. uh, And they really saw what we were trying to make. So it was like, it was good to get both of the sides of the feedback. But of course, I think with any feedback, you need to understand the source. So the person who said that was of a much older generation, right? But obviously, experienced as can be in their accounting field for the as many years as they did that right so totally respect um that that position and just understood that they didn't understand what was happening in the world of technology at all (laughs) (laughs) because I personally never shopped online until I started this business Uh, yeah So, so you didn't even think to like open a store or go to retail like you you immediately knew this was an online business I did. And I was paying attention to a lot of like key players in the space right now with it with D2C beauty, which is like the glossiers of the world and just watching and reading about them constantly and how they were seriously pulling market share from the big six, eight conglomerates that run the industry like that is. And, and you're like, how is this happening? And it's all about the back end digital technologies, right? Like that's once you can master that and, you know, mastering that along with mastering your, your marketing skills in terms of understanding your, your, your key um, core customer is, is massive. And so um, knew that that space, there was room for new players and people to enter that. But I mean, now, believe it or not, 2020 is a time where I've discovered that because the big conglomerates have felt the pinch of indie beauty, 
they are heavy dollars at digital ads and marketing right. and yeah. this space now. So we're losing uh, some, some, some legway here. Um, but we're also as, as our brand cheekbone beauty, we are now prepared and understand we need, um, the traditional model of retail distribution as well. We need right. to be involved with big players like Sephora right. or Alta and figure that out. Well, you're, you, that's the beauty of being an indie brand is that you can be nimble. You can do yeah. things faster. Um, may, might not be cheaper. <laughs> you don't have the money to do it, but that's, that's the beauty of being supported by, um, you know, funds like, um, you know, the legacy fund. Okay. Well, Jen, what are three words you would like for people to associate with you? I'd like to pick a word. <laughs> You're going to pick, like to pick a word. Me? Yeah. I think, oh, I don't even know what the word is. Like I can, I, I, I can picture it, but I can't verbalize it. So is there I, a word? Yeah. Like is there... describe myself in three yeah, words. Yeah. Um, I definitely love describing myself now as Anishinaabe, which I didn't for years because I wasn't proud of that, right? I had this huge shame issue. So I literally <laughs> describe myself as the proudest Anishinaabe recovered alcoholic um, that, and I think I'm funny. So those are like, uh, and I, I'm the only one that thinks I'm funny, but. Uh, former alcoholic. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I lo- that's, that's the realest because I'm owning words now, right? Like I want to own that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you proud be, of, like it's nothing yeah. to be ashamed of. It's actually, yeah. it's what's helped to build the resiliency that I'm seeing today. Yeah. Right. Because it takes, I mean, to overcome, um, you know, to overcome that sort of addiction and be able to stand on your own two feet and, and own it and move forward from it. And then use, you know, that trauma to help other people. Like that's powerful. That is so powerful. That makes you very real. That's why I like you. I was like, are we, is she coming on the podcast? Cause I would need her on the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I said right after, right after we, uh, we announced that uh, you were the winner of the legacy fund. So Aww, thank you. So Jen, what's the one thing you would like to leave with our listeners? Mm, so this is a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Mostly, you know what? I, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who are just bad, meaning good. <laughs> they're bad ass <laughs> yes, yes which our team laughs because that is like along with some other symbols we joke because that's our password for everything here at Chief Beauty. It's like, <laughs> get into this account oh it's the code badass this badass. yeah so um yeah I'm just you know I think everybody just do your stay in your lane and just focus on that don't get caught up in worrying about what everybody else is doing because that will bring you down really, really quickly. Um, and be the, you know, be the woman that really is there and shouting and and talking about other women doing amazing things and try. Our, and I struggle with this for years. So this is why I'm like so um, adamant about it. We got to remove like that whole thread of jealousy and like, mm. it's hard. It's hard. I've, I fight it. And, you know, um, I fought it because there's the, it was that internal issues that I was working on with myself for a long time. So that was sort of, now I realized just my defense sort of mechanism is to like hate on someone because they're doing something better than me. Like how stupid is that? Right. Right. <laughs> right? right but right. when you actually snuff that out, right. And then you're putting fire and, and um, 
like really wanting other people to do good and have joy, when you really want that for other people, it literally comes back to you full. Like it's like, it's so crazy how easy that is. And when you do it and you feel it, and then that's when you know that you're like, no, this is the way, this is the kind of character traits I want to be known for later in life. Right. Um, And so I encourage women to, to, to focus on that, like be the light in the room, you know, that helps another woman shine and let's stop putting each other down and judging one another and all those things that have not served us. Right. They have not served us very well. Right. Okay. One last question. I know I said the last one was last, but this is is the real last question. (laughs) Jen, what makes you bad for business? Mm, I would say my this insane desire not to give up or lose. Right. So in some cases that can be bad because maybe, you know, you see those people working on a business idea that it's probably not a good idea, but they want it to succeed so badly. Maybe that's me. So I, I think that could be bad for business in some cases. Nah, girl, that, that makes, that's, that's what makes you good for business, but you know, bad meaning good. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so very much, Jen, for joining me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Same. It was, this is awesome. You made my afternoon. (laughs) Well, girl, we're two badasses together. So that's, that's, that's how it is. Awesome. This has been another episode of your favorite unconventional and unfiltered business podcast, Bad for Business. I'll see you again next week where I'll be finding out the real stories behind the success of another bad for business entrepreneur. Be sure to connect with the Founders Fund community at foundersfund.ca.